Good morning. Welcome to all of you joining us online. Also, I'm glad you're tuning in today. Um, this fall, in three weeks, we're going to go into a series entitled Practical Christianity. And what this series is about is looking at Romans 13, 14, and 15 and dealing with that subject matter. And it's going to be super relevant and super timely for what we're experiencing as a culture right now. In preparation for this fall series, what we're going to do for the next three weeks is we're going to do a short series from Romans 12 entitled Inner Strength. And uh, it seemed like a good way to get us kind of tracking and thinking in, in a Romans mindset. Uh, years ago here at Grace Point, we did a pretty exhaustive series from Romans chapter 12. Well, today, uh, today we begin to do a very, very much a, a summary approach with the goal of getting us ready and prepared for um, practical Christianity. But don't, don't blow through what we're going to share the next three weeks. I think this is really helpful. In fact, I'm excited about the message uh, this morning. It's entitled Component of biblical well-being, um, and we're going to look at this uh, specifically for a couple weeks now. Um, when I was a young man playing basketball in high school and then playing some in college, um, one of the things we never did was weight train. We never did any kind of strength training at all. Anybody relate to me? You know why? They said it would wreck your shot. Do any of you remember those days of that kind of mythology? <laughs> It just wasn't, it just wasn't appropriate. Uh, and now, now um, I do all kinds of strength training. You see, see this five-pound weight, it's really heavy. Um, but Vicky and I have a, a stand by our TV, uh, free weights. And so usually one or the other of us are doing some weightlifting while we watch TV to try to redeem the time. And plus we're getting old and we, everything wants to sag, amen. And so now you just try to strength train to keep yourself from looking like you're sagging. Anyway, that's sad, isn't it? Um, strength training, though, now we see it's incorporated into all athletics. It's just part of a normal athlete's routine uh, to strength train. They've, they've seen the merits of it and the benefits of it. But what we're going to do for the next three weeks is spiritual strength training. We're going to look at some components of well-being beginning today. And we're really going to get into what it's... A, look like to be a follower of God who's um, developing their inner strength, their, you know, inner fortitude. And so we're going to begin today by reading Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Listen to this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So here's component number one of what I would call biblical well-being. You are to embrace a lifestyle of worship. See, we're to offer our bodies, our minds, our ambitions, our desires, our time, our talents, our treasures. We're to offer all these things in service to our God. And we're to become a living sacrifice, uh, realizing that life is to be lived as a constant worship, you know, experience in God. Now, let me give you a few thoughts in worship I think will help maybe clarify what I'm, I'm getting at this morning. Um, here's a principle. I want you to hear this. Everybody is a worshiper. God has designed, designed us to be a worshiper. We will worship something, amen? We are built that way. And if you look at culture closely, you'll see 
people worship something, they're always going to worship something. And so Paul is telling us here, make sure that you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, do life as an act of worship to your God. Amen? He's saying make sure you do that because you are hardwired to worship. So let's define worship just a little bit. Worship comes from this Greek word, latria, and it just simply means service to God. So when I'm using the word worship, I'm saying we're to live a life of constant service to God. We're to see ourselves as a servant unleashed for the glory of of Jesus Christ. So worship is both a gathered and a sacred experience. Right now we're doing a gathered experience, right? I remember when I first came to Christ in, in my teenage years, and I went to uh, Souls Harbor, downtown Minneapolis, and I went to Way of the Cross in Plain Blaine, Minnesota. Blaine, Minnesota, I should say it right. Anyway, um, and one of the things I couldn't get enough of was this kind of gathering. Man, I had met my Jesus, and he had done such a work of transformation in my life. We would get together, and that was back in the days when there was this huge revival going on in the Twin Cities, and there was this big charismatic movement happening, and church would last three hours, and it wasn't long enough for me. We would sing and sing and sing, and I remember just crying and being so, you know, emotional. And I'm not like built like that, but it was just like God was flooding my soul with this goodness, and people were encouraging one another. And I remember some some characteristics of, of that movement. One was there was this expectancy. There was always an expectancy that when we gathered together, God's going to do something great. He's going to show up. Man, we're going to have this great experience. There was so much mutual encouragement and, and spurring on in the faith of one another, and there it's this great expectancy that Jesus is coming back again. We should live our life differently. Well, I tell you what, Jesus is coming back again, and we should live our life differently. Amen? And we, we were just constantly pushing on into things. And this gathering that we're doing today, it's a sacred thing. Amen? It's a blessed moment. Pray for it on Saturday nights. Come expecting God to do something. Open your hearts to what God wants to do. Ask the Holy Spirit to flood your soul. Begin to gather with other believers with expectancy. Amen? Church, we got to be expectant that in gathering like this, something wonderful will happen. God will show up. But his people need to be expecting it. Um, here's some scripture that reminds me what's supposed to happen in a gathering like this. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So this gathering thing is so important. Now let's talk about scattered, because worship is both a gathered and a scattered kind of experience. Here's what I mean by scattered. Worship is to be an all-encompassing service done to God, whether you're at work, whether you're in school, whether you're, you know, um, doing something uh, relationally with somebody or doing something recreationally, you're just to be constantly thinking, God, how do I worship you? How do I do this as an act of service uh, for your glory? 1 Corinthians 10.31, I love this scripture, spells this out for us. Here's what 1 Corinthians 10.31 says. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And that word glory there is a neat word. It comes from the Greek word doxa. And what it means is I do all my life to honor, to respect, to, to bring renown to, to bring fame to, to bring distinction to, to bring notoriety to God. 
That's how I just do my life. Everything I do is in service uh, of bringing glory uh, to God. I have a really super simple rule of life. I hope you embrace this rule too. In everything you do, just render service to God. Just making an act of service to God, whatever you do. Then you're worshiping God. And this lifestyle of worship, friends, inner strength, man. Amen? It strengthens your soul like nothing else will do. If you can become a true worshiper of God, you'll begin to experience God at a new level, in a new way, and your soul will be strengthened. God, by nature, is a giver. Would you agree with me on that? For God so loved, he what? Gave his only son. We, by nature, are receivers. We may not want to admit that, but we, by nature, are receivers. We're needy. We need our God. Here's what's interesting. It doesn't make sense when you take a casual look at it, but here's what's interesting. When you and I decide to truly do all things in a servant attitude towards God, in a worship attitude towards God, then we become a big receptor for the movement of God in our lives and God who loves to give, gives to us. Amen? It doesn't make sense that by serving God, you become a recipient of God's goodness, but that's how it works. The more we choose to serve God, the more we choose to be a worshiper of God, the more we open ourselves up in that vein. God gladly sends to us mercy and goodness, and he sends his words of wisdom to us, and he graces our lives with his power and his presence. God is by nature a giver. We, by nature, are receivers. It works really well when we understand that the linkage to receiving is serving. Amen? Now, I'm not talking... Yes, I am talking. I'm talking everything. But you do your job different. You go to work and you think differently. You think, today this is a work day for you and for your glory, God. When you do your school and you're sitting there studying, you're studying as unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? You're doing it for his glory and for the honor and recognition of your God. It just changes how you do life and life becomes this really interactive experience with God and your inner strength just soars. Now, let's talk about a couple practical steps to a life of worship. They're identified for us in the second half of our reading here from, from um, Romans 12, uh, going specifically to verse 2. Uh, I call this two steps to a life of worship. Don't conform. Don't conform. The world is constantly trying to shape people into its image and mold us and influence us and cause us to be dependent on it. And I, I just want to tell you, do not conform to this world. This world is passing away. Don't conform to its mentality, to its way of thinking. Instead, be transformed. Be transformed. Your mind is to be renewed. Now, when I use that word renewed, uh, here's how renewal takes place in our mind. Um, First of all, we just ask Holy Spirit come into our hearts. Right now I'm asking Holy Spirit come into everybody's heart here. Come into our hearts and bring the mindset of Jesus into our lives. Amen. We just pray that way. Holy Spirit, come into my heart and bring the mind of Christ into me so that I think differently and I believe differently and I discern differently and I see differently. And then we look at the Bible not as just something we study, but we look at it as the living words of God to us to be embraced in how we do our life. And we begin to think, how do I live out this principle? Renew my mind, God. 
Let me think thoughts after you. Holy Spirit, empower me to live this way. And there's this great kind of interaction going on between God's word as, as living and sharper than a two-edged sword and the Holy Spirit actually bringing it to life in our lives. Larry Christensen, who was a big mover and shaker in the 1970s, uh, charismatic movement in the Twin Cities, which is what I kind of went through, uh, was saying how he wanted to work on renewing his mind. And so he decided one day, while he was mowing the yard, that every time an improper thought came into his mind, that that wasn't of God, it was, it was something less of th- than he should be thinking, he would stop and repent. So he starts mowing his yard, he says. He said he gets about 10 feet. Whoops. So he stops. And he repents and he says, Jesus, give me your mind. Starts mowing another 10 feet, stops again. And he said he stopped about 100 times during his mowing his yard. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, I've lived in my neighborhood now 11 years. I tend to look out the window every now and then and see what's happening in the neighborhood. Some would call that nosy. I call that being neighborly. How about you? <laughs> I'm just kind of looking around what's going on. I'm just kind of interested, you know what I mean? And so if I saw Larry Christensen, he was my neighbor, I'm thinking, that guy got a serious health problem going on or something here. He can't go more than 10 feet. And he said he would kneel and then sometimes he would lay. I would go over and say, are you all right? Would you do that? But he was having a God moment. He said, I needed to tackle this renewing my mind thing and take it seriously and earnestly go after it. Um, our minds need to be captured, friends, by Christ. Our hearts need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we do that, we're living a true life of worship then. It begins to really, really strengthen us. One commentary I read said this about transformation. I love this little kind of way of looking at it. He said, transformation occurs when there's a dedication that leads to Christ. Discernment becomes the result. And out of that discernment, then, we begin to delight in God's will. So transformation is this dedication to just, you know, Jesus, I'm yours. The sermon of the Spirit comes into us. And then there's a delight that flows from us uh, for uh, God's will. So how do you worship God? How do you serve God? Well, you don't conform to this world. Rather, you're transformed. And transformation takes place when we dedicate ourselves to God. He fills us with his Holy Spirit. We become discerning, and pretty soon we're delighting in the will of the Lord. Amen? And this is how worship takes place. So now we're ready to move on to component number two of our biblical well-being message today. And I want us to take a test. I want you to engage in this test-taking with me, okay? So in your note-taking guide, if you have one of those with you, um, you can use that. If you're online with us, joining us that way today, you can go to the media page and find the uh, note-taking guide there if you want to take it with us. But I I know a lot of you, you'll never write anything down, so at least take this with me mentally, okay? So here we go. I'm going to ask you some questions. I want you to honestly think uh, of what your answer would be to these questions. First one is this. Are you realistic in self-evaluation? Do you have a good sense of who you are as a person, what's going on in your life? Two, do you need to be the center of attention? Is that a need you have? Three, when asked to do something, is your first thought, how will this affect me? Do I want to put this time into it? Do I really even like this person? Four, do you feel like a victim a lot? Do we have a lot of people in culture that feel like a victim a lot right now? 
Do we all feel like a victim a lot right now? What do you think? Just think on that. Five, do you find yourself thinking, I am smarter and no better than other people? And then lastly, six is this question. Do you turn conversations towards your own needs frequently? Do you just wait for that person that's talking with you to take a breath and pause so that she can turn the conversation on you? So honestly, think on those six questions as we get into this next component of well-being because it'll get you kind of percolating, I hope, in the right direction. Okay, here we go. Point number two, component number two. If you want to have this biblical well-being going on, if you want to be a person that's developing inner strength, you are to be sober in self-assessment. You to be sober in self-assessment. Here's why I say this. Listen to Romans chapter 12. Now I'm going to read verses 3 through 5. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Now sober here means free from exaggeration, free from speculation, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So, Paul's taking us through this quick assessment process here now in Romans um, 12. And if you really want to be the man or woman that God intends you to be, then you're going to understand, this is who I am, this is how I fit into God's scheme, amen? This is who I am, and this is what God would have me to do. This is sober judgment. This is understanding what God's up to in your life. So let's look at this in a little bit more detail. A, see the real you. You have to begin to see the real you. If you really want to be one who does sober judgment right, and you're really going to use this component of well-being, then you've got to begin to say, who am I? You have to have some self-awareness. That means you do some humble self-exaggeration. Um, one commentator I read said this about this verse. There is less danger of a person depreciating himself or depreciating herself than of exaggerating her or his importance. The norm is that we tend to exaggerate our own self-importance, don't we? I got a story for you. Maybe one of my favorite stories. This is good. A pastor. My, my story says a young pastor, but I'm just going to say pastor here, okay? A pastor often boasted in public that all the time he needed to prepare his Sunday sermon was a few minutes it took him to walk to the church from the parsonage next door. After a few weeks of hearing his sermons, the congregation bought a new parsonage five miles away. Okay? That's pretty good, isn't it? Pride, friends, is such a problem. Pride robs us of God's grace, God's empowerment. Pride creates in you and I an anemic, weak expression of faith. So how did you do with taking this little test? See, it's a test all about pride. All these questions are getting at pride from maybe a little bit different vantage points. Are you realistic in self-examination? Do you know what you can do and can't do? Do you know how you're gifted? Do you know what fills your bucket? Do you know what really depletes your soul? Are you self-aware? Um, are you thinking of yourself correctly in the scheme of things? And are you seeing yourself in God's plan? Do you have a need to be the center of attention? 
do you always want to turn everything inward towards yourself? Or are you willing to just listen to other people and just enter into their lives? Um, when assessing some situation, do you think of all the reasons why this would be an inconvenience to you? And why you really don't want to do it? And you might do it, but you might do it out of duty or reluctantly. These are all things of pride. You see what I'm saying here? Do you feel like a victim a lot? I mean, sometimes bad things happen to people and we truly are in that really terrible situation of being a victim. But frequently, we're not the victim of anything. We just have a victim mentality. And it's, I think, a tool of Satan to just destroy and immobilize people, to make them feel victimized. Like, you know, they're hopeless and full of despair, right? And, and, and so, um, but it's also kind of a form of pride to feel like everything's always against you. Do you find yourself thinking, I'm smarter and know better than other people? <laughs> this last year, I am so grateful for all the smart people on social media that know so much medical things that freely share it all. Amen? Are you thankful for that? I don't know what I would have done with all that conflicting, confusing information. How about you? Boy, that went over like a lead balloon, but anyway. Do you always turn conversations towards your own needs? Uh, I've been kind of a student watching this anymore because I tend to do this. This is a weakness. You, you know, I, I see it so frequently. You, there's a co conversation going on, and the person's just waiting for the other person to take a breath so they can turn that conversation to their, to their needs. And sometimes I watch with, it's kind of fun to watch four or five people talking at once. Frequently, there's four or five different conversations happening. And every time someone gets a chance to talk, they turn it right to themselves. Amen? You see, you know what I'm talking about? I want to challenge you. Have a conversation with somebody that's meaningful, but it's not about you. Just let it be about them, especially if they've come and shared with you. Humility is incredibly important. If we're going to have inner fortitude, if we're going to really be a person of inner strength and God's going to use us, if we're going to have what I call biblical well-being or soul well-being, we've got to be humble. We've got to be teachable. Um, God opposes the proud, we're told, but gives grace to the humble. He empowers the life of the humble person. The great leader Moses was known as the most humble man that lived on the earth at his time. In fact, in Numbers 12, verse 3, we are told Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. And I think that's why God used him so mightily and why he became one of the great patriarchs of the uh, nation Israel. So here's how I would use uh, or define humility. I know who I am, and I know who God is. Amen? I just have a realistic picture of myself. And I know who God is. Amen. I know God's sufficiency, his strength, his sovereignty. Humility is essential for us to become the man or woman that God desires us to be. Um, so, next in the scripture that I read to you from Romans 12, 3 through 5, Paul gives us one benchmark uh, that we ought to see when evaluating ourselves. He gives us one benchmark kind of thought process. And I want to just talk on that for just a minute with you, and then we'll wrap up the message. Uh, this is point B. An essential element of self-assessment is the measure of faith God has given you. That becomes an evaluation tool that we can use to see how are we doing, and it can be an aid for us to, to know how to get stronger and do better in the Lord. So let me define what Paul means here. In this context, faith is not necessarily a reference to a body of belief. I don't know about you, but you often hear faith in Christianity used as synonyms of one's of one another. You might hear somebody, especially on the media, who doesn't want to use the word 
Christian, they'll say, well, that's a man or woman of great faith, right? And they're using that as a synonym to Christianity, meaning that that person has embraced this body of belief systems that are affecting their character and and how they view life. Well, in uh, Romans 12, 3, Paul basically is using that word faith as, as a measurement of how you are embracing God's gifting to you and then putting that gifting into practice in your life. Um, In other words, God has given you some gifts of the Holy Spirit, some strengths, and as you use them, and to the degree that you're willing to use them, then this becomes a measurement of faith to evaluate yourself by. Um, So let me expand on this just a little bit more. Years ago, I read a book by Marcus Buckingham entitled, Go Put Your Strengths to Work. It's a secular book, okay? Uh, but I, I think it has some spiritual application. Um, in this book, Buckingham put forth the, the thesis that he believes that most people are doing their lives entirely wrong. They're living a, what he called, remedial life. In other words, what they're doing is they say, if I'm going to really excel and do good at life, I'm going to look at all my problems and I'm going to work on those and just elevate my life up. He said, the problem is, if you're really bad at something and you work hard at it, then you're just a little bit better than bad. You're really not that good, amen? And you really haven't made much progress. You're still bad. But he says, instead of doing that, what are you really good at? Where are your natural skills and talents? Develop those, hone those, put those to work. And he said, you'll be more exceptional and you'll have a strength there that you didn't know you had. Um, And I think Paul is saying to you and I, God has given you some gifts of the Holy Spirit. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ and you're filled with the person of the Holy Spirit, you have some gifts that he's given you. And, And what we're being told here is this Paul saying, nurture that gift, know that gift, put that gift into service. That's the measurement of faith. You know that he's saying you can use it as an evaluation tool. Are you knowing the gift of the Spirit that you have? Are you ministering in that gift of the Spirit? Are you putting it to work? And are you, uh, uh, you know, following God's will in that, that way of life? You see, we frequently work on the bad things of life because we think that's balance. I had a really good uh, mentor when I was a college student. Um, back in the Twin Cities when I was going to the University of Minnesota uh, pursuing a mechanical engineering degree, I went to a church called Way of the Cross and one of the assistant pastors there was Tom Stewart. Now Tom Stewart was uh, a Big Ten uh, former college high jumper. He was really gifted. He high jumped really well. And so at the time I met Tom, he was married, had a couple kids, and he was attempting to run a marathon. And so we ran frequently together um, some just go running. And he would just share his frustration with me. He could never finish a marathon. He tried several times. He had never yet completed a marathon. And he thought somehow that was just a failure. And I'm sitting there listening to this big 10 high jumper, right? This guy can jump through the roof, basically. Super talented. And he's frustrated. Why? Because they can't run a marathon. And I'm thinking, well, millions of other people can't run a marathon either, bud. Right? I dare say most of us in here can't run a marathon, amen? This isn't something we're going to do. But see, he was not operating in his strengths and doing assessment by something that wasn't his strength, and that leads then frequently to what? Frustration. You've got to know what your strengths are and uh, function accordingly. But in the name of balance, what do we do? If we're not very good at mercy, but God has given us the gift of maybe 
exhortation or leadership or whatever, we may think, I need to work at mercy because, you know, God's mercy is new every morning and God blesses the merciful and all that kind of stuff. And so you begin to try like crazy to be a merciful person, right? And you might get a little bit better, but it's going to be always mechanical. It's always going to feel like you're just trying really hard to do this thing better. So let me get personal with you. I am not a hugger. Amen? How about anybody else in here? Are you all huggers? Good for you. Good. I'm so grateful that we have huggers. I grew up in a non-touchy family. We didn't touch. We didn't do anything, you know, like that. So I have a real difficult time with hugging. So don't come up after church and say, oh, funny, hug, 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 hug. That's been done to me a thousand times. Okay, so at any rate, so here's my point. I know I should be more demonstrative physically. I know that. So I work at this thing hard. Every time, I've been married now 44 years. Every time I have to think, I should hold my wife's hand. She'll tell you, that hardly ever happens. Or I should give her a little hug. It's super mechanical. You follow what I mean? I have to think, do. You get in my, it's super mechanical. It's super awkward. I'm never going to do it with fluidity. It's never going to be natural because it's not how I'm built. So the other day, Pastor Aaron's in here. <laughs> we had this coordinator meeting that was really good. Aaron always puts together just the good stuff. It's so good. And everyone's a little teary-eyed. and We're praying our hearts out for things. And we get all done and, ah, oh, they start hugging. Oh. <laughs> And I'm sitting in there. This is the leadership of the church, right? And uh, they're hugging. And then Ryan comes in before I could say anything because Ryan's a hugger. Um, and he starts hugging me. And then I go like this, see ya. And I run out of the room. I got enough hugs. That's good to go. I'm good to go. And that's the way I'm always going to be. I'm, never, I can work, I'm going to work on that until I die. I hug my grandkids like crazy. They sit on my lap. Sometimes they say, aren't you really hot? I'm hot. But they're, not, they're never hot. But at any rate, you follow what I'm saying. Um, I work hard at uh, this hugging thing and, and being demonstrative. If I give you a little pat on the arm, feel privileged, man. <laughs> that's my hug. That's a Steve Norby hug. All right. And so... But I, on the other side of this, I'm going to say this. God has put into me just this deep passion for following him. You with me on that? I mean, it's this prophetic deep passion of truth that I just, it just drives my soul so much so that it just, it, it determines how I live. I, I'll sacrifice tremendously for the things of Jesus Christ. And I just have this passion that drives me, you know, that, that, and when I'm in that passion and I just let that thing rip, amen, right? It's good. My soul's refreshed. My strength's built up. I still need to work on hugging, but that's never going to do this for me. It's never going to, it's never going to really strengthen me. It's going to make me feel a little bit less worse about how bad I really am. You know, in that regard, you follow what I'm saying? And so, uh, here's a reflection question I want to leave you with today. We're going to talk on this a lot next week, okay? I'm setting up next week's message. But uh, here's what I want you to ask yourself. Am I, this is referring to you now, operating in my God-given gifting according to God's will? Am I operating in my God-given gifting according to God's will? We'll talk about what that means a lot more next week. But for now, uh, let's go on a little bit. And Paul says in verse 4, 
Each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same functions. So in Christ, we are who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And from this statement, we can see simply this. When someone says, I don't need the church, they're entirely wrong. We need each other. Because you know why? We don't have all the gifts. We don't have all the perspectives. And coming together, we get a full-orbed kind of understanding of the viewpoint of Jesus Christ. So we need each other. So each one of us has something to offer to somebody else. So I want to ask you the second reflection question. Are you using your spiritual gifts and talents to serve others? This doesn't necessarily have to just be in a church gathering like this. It can be where you work or in the school you're at or where you, where you go to school. Whatever, you know, you follow what I'm saying here, okay? See, well-being is a buzzword right now, and I'm okay with that being a buzzword. It's a, it's a good buzzword, amen? Our personal well-being is a good thing to look at. Now, we want to look at biblical well-being here for a few weeks, and that's incredibly important. Two components of biblical well-being are simply this. Be a worshiper. Be sober in self-assessment. We're off to a start here on inner strength building up, amen? Into understanding what it means to be biblically... Uh, well off. So if you're new to us, we include oftentimes at the end of, well, we always do, we put some questions that you can look at, discipling with family and friends that are part of your uh, note guide and, and page there. I would encourage you to look at those and, 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 and talk with somebody about them and pursue, uh, pursue this subject matter a little bit outside of, of this setting. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads? Lord God, I want to thank you for Romans 12. I just love Romans 12. It's one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. It's so insightful and so meaningful, meaty, Lord, and full of such, uh, such, uh, such good guidance, Lord. And so I pray today, Lord, as we look into this, you know, what does it mean to be biblically, uh, have a biblical well-being, Lord? What does it mean to develop my inner strength, my inner fortitude as a follower of God? I, I, what we're doing right now, what we're about to do, even with singing songs here as these guys lead us in songs, um, man, Lord, there's just nothing that compares to just connecting with you and worshiping you and serving you and being in relationship with you and interacting with you throughout the week, Lord. So I pray we would be a worshiper, whether we're gathered or scattered. And Lord, I pray that we'd be sober in self-assessment, that we would see who we are, see who you are, that the measurement of our faith would be, so to speak, is how am I doing at putting the gifts God has graced me with into service to fulfill his will on this earth. For your glory, Jesus, for your glory. We love you and praise you and all God's people said,